0: We're in the book of Romans. We started in the Book of Romans last week. It's page nine hundred and thirty nine, if you're in your pew Bible this morning. I'd encourage you to turn there because we are going to look at a number of, of places in the first three chapters in the book of Romans. I mentioned this last week, but but Romans is easy. It's easy to begin to focus on the trees rather than the forest. And our goal in this series has been to, to give a flyover view of the letters of Paul, trying to get an idea of, of what, what they were for, why Paul wrote those letters to those churches, what was the purpose for it, what was the happening in the church when it happened. I, I, we want to give a forest view of Romans rather than a tree view. But, as I said last week, uh, Romans was probably written at the, at the pinnacle of of Paul's ministry, unbeknownst to him. That was probably the pinnacle of his ministry. And it's a book that's, that's written to, to churches, to a, to a church that he had not previously been in or been a part of. These other letters that we've been looking at, the, the book, letter to the Galatians, the letters to the Thessalonians, the letters to the Corinthians, all of those letters were to churches that he had been there. He had, in fact, probably planted those churches He knew their faces. He knew who they were. He he had a picture of them that he did not have for the church in Rome. And so this book, this letter to the Romans is different than those other letters. In fact, probably what gets shared as we look today at at chapters uh, 1 through 3, this probably is what... Paul would have been teaching when he traveled through the, the Galatia area and planted those churches there in Lystra and, and Derbe. It's, it's in Macedonia, in the, in the Greek area, when he traveled through those areas and planted the church in Thessalonica and Philippi and, and Berea, all of those churches, this is what he would have shared there. This is what he shared early on in Corinth when he first arrived there as well. This message that we have in the first part of Romans is Paul's primary message. And so today I just want to walk us through, I think, his logical argument. Paul makes a a progressive, logical argument for the gospel, for the righteousness righteousness that comes through faith he makes here in this first part of Romans. And so we're going to look at that together today. I mentioned last week, that the church in Rome probably was planted uh, from early Jewish converts that probably were even there right away at the beginning at, at Pentecost Sunday. When you read about Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2, uh, you see that there were visitors from Rome. They're specifically listed there by Luke. They probably went back to Rome after Pentecost Sunday They went back to Rome, they planted a church, the church grew there in Rome in the capital of the world, the known world at that time. The church grew, but in 49 AD, Claudius expelled all of the Jews, all of the Jews, whether they were believing Jews or not, he cast all of the Jews out of the city because there had been a dispute arising amongst the people regarding Christos, or Christ, and so he kicked out all of the Jews, and so for five years, there were no Jewish believers or or jewish unbelievers in rome uh only gentile believers would have still been a part of the church i mentioned to you last last week that a commentator said for five years they probably had pulled pork and bacon at their church picnics for five years the gentiles were in charge for five years they were untethered to the law for five years they lived as a whole different kind of church And then, five years later, the Jews are allowed to come back into the city of Rome. And as they come back, the church looks different than it did when they left. The leadership is different. There are more Gentile believers now than Jewish believers in the church. And the entire church looks different. And so one of the things that Paul's writing when he writes this letter is he wants to unify the Gentiles and the Jews, the believing Jews and the Gentiles. He wants to unify them together in the church. That's been Paul's ministry all along. In fact, uh, as I said, Paul writes this, he probably writes this letter while he's in Corinth. He's wintering in Corinth, and he's sending off this letter to the church in Rome. He's going to send it with Phoebe when she goes back to Rome. And so he, he's writing this letter and one of the things that has happened is, is when he's sitting in Corinth writing this letter, he has collected an offering through all of the churches in this, in this place where he has gone through three different missionary journeys. And he's, he's collected up an offering in these Gentile churches that he's taking back to Jerusalem To give to the Jews who are suffering through a drought in Jerusalem and Judea. And one of his main reasons for doing that, for collecting that offering up, is to join together the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers and to bring unity to the church. That's been Paul's goal all the way through. and So that's part of why he writes this book of romans. He's also hoping to make a, 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 a to expand his territory kind of. He's been he's been as i mentioned he's he's done three different missionary loops through these churches. He's visited them a number of times. He's planted churches all through this this Greece area, Macedonia area, and now he wants to travel on to Rome to build some support, I think, in Rome, and even to travel on farther to Spain, he says here in his letter to the Romans, that he wants to go out even farther and to expand his territory, his missionary journeys. But unbeknownst to Paul, as I said, this is probably the, the peak of, of his ministry. He does take this offering back to Rome, but it's not received quite the way that he thought it would be received. It doesn't bring unity to the church quite the way he had thought it would would bring unity. He does leave from Jerusalem and from that Judea area and head to Rome, but it's not traveling the way that he had anticipated or hoped to travel. He's instead in chains as he gets on the boat and heads off to go to Rome. When he gets to Rome, he finally is freed for just a little while, but but it isn't long before he's arrested again and then martyred there in Rome. His ministry is probably peaking right here in Corinth as he writes this letter. And he sends it off, and last week we looked at the very beginning of chapter 1. We looked at those, those first few verses where he gives an introduction, which really is a, is a gospel presentation just in itself. Just the introduction that he writes to the people in Rome. But then he comes to his, his thesis statement, his hypothesis statement, his, his main point for the whole letter. He comes to, he culminates that, what we talked about last week there in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is passionate. He's passionate about the gospel. He's passionate about the righteousness of God. And so what I want to do today is look at the rest of this chapter and a couple of verses in chapters 2 and 3 to help us get the picture of of what does this gospel mean to Paul and what does it mean to you and I as well. So let's read together the remainder of this chapter in chapter 1. And then later we'll look at chapters, some ports in chapters 2 and 3. So chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Paul is talking here about the righteousness of God. That's verses 16 and 17. He talks about the righteousness of God, and for Paul, whenever he begins to think about, whenever Paul begins to talk about the righteousness of God, that immediately leads him to begin to think about the unrighteousness of man. He thinks about the righteousness of God and he begins to compare it to the unrighteousness of man. And for Paul and for you and I, there is such a stark contrast between the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of man. The perfect holiness of God versus the sinfulness of man. A stark contrast. And as we walk through this passage here in Romans, we have to understand that. The difference between the perfect holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. We have to understand our sin. Paul spends a long time here in this letter talking about our sin we have to understand our sin because he starts right away in verse 18 we have to understand our sin because of the way our sin is going to be handled the wrath of God is going to be revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men the wrath of God That's troublesome, to say the least. The wrath of God. Pastor Ron has talked about this, especially as he walked through the book of Romans. We don't like to think about the wrath of God. We don't even like to talk about it in those kinds of terms. We would rather, we would much rather talk about the displeasure of of God, or how, how God does not like it when we sin. But we don't want to talk about the wrath of God being poured out. And not just the wrath of God being poured out, but the unbridled, the unrestrained wrath of God will be poured out on your sin and my sin. He won't dribble it out. There will be no filter between his wrath being poured out on our sin. The full weight of his wrath will be poured out against us because of our sin. And there's really no other way to talk about it except in those terms. There's a perfect holiness, righteous God There is sinful and separated human beings, you and I. And our sin is worthy of his wrath. The gospel cannot be good news. It cannot be good news for us unless we truly understand how bad the news is for us. For those who do not know and understand and believe in the gospel. The good news is not good news unless you understand the bad news. And so Paul just dives right into it here in this letter. He spells out the bad news for us. He says, there's a truth about God, but you have suppressed it. He says, all men suppress the truth through our unrighteousness. It's all around us. We see it everywhere. We see it in the creation that God has given to us. We see the perfect righteousness of God even even in the way the plants grow, even in the way that the wind blows. We see God's perfect righteousness all around us. But not only do we see it around us, but we also have it in us but it's taken a back seat. It's plainly seen, Paul says, but it's been suppressed. It's as if if we have this gigantic coiled spring and we spend our whole life pushing it down, pressing against it, pushing as hard as we can, trying to hold it down so that it doesn't spring out. We've suppressed the truth of God. And we work hard at doing that. We work hard at trying to hide it. We work hard at trying to press it down. We work hard at trying to make ourselves feel okay because we know that we cannot let this spring loose or we would be crushed under the weight of our sin. And so we try to hide the truth of God. We try to hide his perfection. We try to hide hide his perfect holiness we try to suppress it and press it down and it just keeps trying to boil out. And he goes on in verse, 22, 20, in verse 20 sorry, and says that they are without excuse. We've pushed it down, we've suppressed it, but it's all around us and in fact it's even inside of us and now we have no excuse. We knew God but we did not honor him or give thanks to him. Paul says instead what we do and we suppress this truth when we press it down we begin to look around because we are wired It's, it's already inside of us we're wired to worship something there's ever since the creation of man we are wired to worship something but but we're twisted because of our sinful nature It came through Adam and Eve in the garden it was passed on to each and every person. Paul is going to talk about that as, as he continues on in his letter. But that human nature, that carnal nature, that sinful nature that, that, that is a part of us from the very beginning wants to worship something, but we've twisted it so that we do not look to worship God, but instead we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Naturally wired to worship, but instead of worshiping the perfect, holy, righteous God, we worship everything else all around us. In fact, he he says we we create things to worship. We worship animals and and idols and 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 we we build things. Mortal man images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. We build idols. We create them. We manufacture something for us to give our worship to instead of turning our eyes to the perfect and holy, righteous God. We exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship and serve creatures rather than the Creator. I don't know that there's much, a much better definition of sin than that. We exchange the truth of God for a lie and we worship and serve creatures in creation rather than the creator. We are so filled with all manner of unrighteousness, Paul says. We We look to other things. We worship other things. We suppress and press down the truth so that it doesn't spring up inside of us. We look to ourselves for our own happiness. We have this internal monitor trying to find our own way and trying to love our own things. We are so selfish in every way. Paul says they're filled with all manner of unrighteousness and then he gives a list. And he doesn't mean it to be an exhaustive list. But he starts, he starts with sexual immorality. And he says, we are so selfish, we are so selfish in our own way, in our own sin, that we even begin to worship the exact things that look like us. Men begin to find hope and satisfaction and love and fulfillment In other men and women, in other women. We're so selfish that we even begin to look at what looks like us. But it's not just sexual immorality. That's not where the list ends. Paul goes on, he says, you're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I don't know what your struggle is, but I know it's listed here. Because you can't get around all manner of unrighteousness that Paul talks about here. We want our own way and that selfish nature, that sinful nature inside of us leads us to these things. This is the natural outcome of that selfishness. Envy and strife and deceit, gossip, disobedience to our parents. Your struggle's listed here. Then he goes on to say, not only do you do it, but you give approval to those around you that practice the same things. I don't know how that hits you this morning, but I know I've struggled this week as I've read through Romans chapter one because I'm listed in that list with all manner of unrighteousness. And as I've thought about God and his wrath being poured out against sin, it has been sobering for me. Because Paul says there in Romans chapter 1, as he lists all of those things, then he says, so God gave them up. So God gave them up to their sin. He goes on in chapter 2 to tell us even more about where we're at in this unrighteousness as he talks about God's righteous judgment against us. He says, you have have suppressed it. You've pushed down God's truth. You've you've dove into all these other things. You've worshiped all of these other things. You You have lived your own unrighteous, selfish, sinful life. And so God gives them up, says our, our consciences begin to burn less and less and we begin to think maybe things are okay. Maybe it's not as bad as what I originally thought. Maybe, maybe, maybe I can read around this list and, and my particular sin is not in this list of things that, that Paul talks about. And, and my selfishness shows up in better ways than what he's listed here in Romans chapter 1. And, and, and we begin to just fool ourselves. We begin to just fool ourselves that it's not that bad because God's wrath has not yet been poured out on me because of my sin. And then he says in chapter 2 and verse 4 Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing? That God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? His wrath has not been poured out yet on me, on my sinfulness, not because it's really not that bad, but because God in his kindness has given me opportunity to repent. His kindness is leaving me time to repent. But the wrath, he says, is being stored up. The wrath for my sin is still there. It's being stored up. It's being saved. It's being kept so that it will be poured out at some point. not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. But instead, he says in verse 5 of chapter 2, but because of your heart, an impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We have taken out what we think to be a 0% loan. And we're making these payments thinking that, that it's, we're not going to pay any interest. There's not going to be any wrath. We're living in this free period But it's all stored up. And you know when you get to that 0% credit at the end, it starts from the beginning. All of your interest starts from the beginning. That interest is all stored up through all of that. That's the forbearance that God has given us. Our sin, our sin has been storing up wrath from the very beginning before we even understood It's all being stored up for us. Those are hard things. But in chapter 3, it turns a little bit. How do we have peace with God? Paul says, how do we have forgiveness for our sins? How do we have righteousness in our unrighteousness? How can we be rescued from the wrath that's being stored up to be poured out against us? How can we have the righteousness of God? Paul tells us here in chapter three. Now the righteousness of God, he says in verse 21, but the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, through the law. The prophets bear witness to it, 22, This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How can we have peace with God? He spells it out right here in chapter three. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God, but in verse 24, he says, we are justified, we are made right by the free gift of grace. We are made right by his grace. It's not something that you can do. What you have done is stored up wrath. What you have done is all manner of unrighteousness. What you have done is listed in that list of sin, that's what you and I have done, but, but God justifies us. He makes us right by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's the work. What you and I have done in our work is built up wrath, stored wrath against us. But what Jesus has done, the action of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, that Jesus that Jesus provided for us redemption through His actions of the cross Justified by grace as a gift of the redemption that is in Christ, Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation. By his blood, a propitiation, that's a word we don't use often, but we have talked about it here at Richland. Propitiation, this is the dictionary definition of propitiation. Propitiation is an offering. Definition is an offering that turns away the wrath of God directed against sin. an offering that turns away the wrath of God directed against sin. How can we have peace with God? How can this stored-up wrath that is being stored up for me, how can that be turned away? It's because God sent Jesus to be a propitiation, an offering for wrath, so that the wrath directed towards my sin That's being stored up for my sin would be poured out on him. Fully and entirely poured out
1: on him.
0: How can I know that's true for me? Paul goes on to say it's received by faith, it's received by faith. We trust in the promises of his word. That we trust in what we read right here in Romans 1 through 3, that we do not belittle our sin. In fact, we want every sin to be named because all of his wrath is going to be poured out and we want it all to be poured out on the propitiation that he sent in his son. How can you have peace with God and forgiveness of sins? How can you have righteousness when we are so unrighteous? How can we be rescued from the wrath of God? By faith. That God sent his son who had no sin to become sin for us, so that we might have the righteousness of God. That's what Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We receive by faith the propitiation the sacrifice that turns away the wrath of god so that we might have hope so that the wrath that's being stored up and stored up for your sins and mine might be fully poured out on him that's our hope the worship team is going to come this morning and lead us in worship this morning i don't want you to leave from here not understanding what I've been sharing. Because there's wrath that's stored up for all of us because we are all sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But there is redemption through the free gift of grace that comes through Jesus Christ. God sent him as a propitiation for us and our action is faith. I hope this morning, I hope that you have received by faith the hope that comes through his son. If you haven't today, I'd love to visit with you more about that. I pray that you know that the wrath that's stored up for your sin has been turned away because it's been put fully and entirely on Jesus. So we can live in perfect harmony with a holy and righteous God. That's our hope this morning. Stand with me as we sing together today.
2: night. Yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to
0: Of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him
1: are all things. To him be glory forever and ever.